John Stewart to Stephen Colbert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then I'll just randomly pop up and be like, so I'm hijacking Andy's podcast. The Winter Faith Podcast. This is a podcast focused on creating conversations for spiritual and emotional growth through faith, apathy, and everything in between. I am your host, Andrew Gregory Frazier. I am grateful that you are listening to my show. Today we have a very special guest. It is my roommate from college, Josh Jackson. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. Also, sign up on iTunes, sign up on Stitcher, sign up on uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. Also, keep in mind you can support the podcast using um, Winter Faith on the Patreon page. I also accept Venmo, PayPal, and any way you want to get me cash Let's keep the conversation going. My good friend Josh Cleveland here. Let's check him out. And also, you can buy his music on Amazon. And also, I encourage you to check out my friend Josh Jackson's website. So we are going to get into this podcast. You have to wait no further. It's only been 90 seconds. Here we go. Let's get into it. Andy's funny. Time for the show. I have a very special guest, and I want to tell you a little bit about this guest. His name is Joshua Jackson. He is an excellent chef. He walks his dog daily. He is a marketing guru that I cannot afford, and you probably can't either. He is a world-class animal ball player. More about that later. He once biked from Madison, Wisconsin to somewhere in Missouri during the hottest summer in American history. Uh, I think that's accurate. Um, he is a NFL owner. So please welcome to the show a big Winter Faith welcome to my old college roommate, Joshua Jackson. Welcome, Josh. How are you? <laughs> uh, well, you've already started to make me laugh. So <laughs> this is great. Yeah, I went all out on that introduction. All out. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, I, it's funny that you mentioned uh walking the dog so um that's a it's a morning routine of mine right and i was walking the dog and i was thinking about this podcast so talking about wrapping our minds around things and i i thought okay we've known each other for almost probably 15 years now. I think this yeah. year is like 15 years. Let's start there. I actually was thinking about this. When was the first time we met each other? Let's start there. Well, right, I think you came back from Greece, right? Yeah. Came back May of 2006. Oh, Eight. was it 2006? Okay. Well, no, that might be wrong. <laughs> I came back for Tim's wedding. Whenever Tim's wedding was. 
No, I knew you before then. It was before Greece. Really? It was before Greece. Oh, okay. Man. Well, I'm I, almost positive. I, like, I mean, it was somewhere around there. Let's just say, well, let's say 13 years. Okay. Um, yeah. 13 years, which a lot has changed in those 13 years. But um, if I think about, I was, so I was thinking about words that I, I can literally say one word and, and, uh, among our friends and we would know you know a name or a phrase but li- even just a word right. and it triggers this crazy memory right <laughs> yeah. and, i mean it could be um and, th- and that happens with a lot of our our college friends sure um you know and it, I, we don't have to talk about them but you know i could say like perry and you would know exactly what I was talking about, right? Wow. Um, I've not thought about him in a while. <laughs> but you know, just just like one word. I, um, yes. Yep. And Very. yep. So anyway, it that's what makes me laugh. So that yeah, there'll sense. probably be some inside jokes uh, throughout this episode that only a few will get. Um, just the word box means yeah. something to us that doesn't really mean anything probably anybody else um this is a well we'll probably get into one of these but i have to one of my favorite memories involves tim's wedding and um (laughs) the night before the wedding our very good friend had a cast on his arm and he decided to saw the cast off in order for the (laughs) the wedding pictures (laughs) <laughs> and it's like two in the morning and I didn't know where he was. It's like, oh, he's in, it, we weren't, we didn't even know the people we were staying with. We were just in a random house, somebody from church and he's in their garage <laughs> sawing off his cast. <laughs> so for the wedding pictures, there's no cast. Just uh, uh, That one was really funny to me for whatever reason. So. Well, so, I, it's, it's, or, sorry. I don't, I don't mean to hijack your podcast here. No, no, no. That's your job. That's your job. Okay. Um, so let, let's continue down this because I think for me, um, the Winter Faith podcast and talking about faith and how we've known each other. And um, I, I was thinking back at Harding and we can talk a lot about things we don't like about it um but one of the best things that i got from it was the building of constraints um that came along with college um so so i think this translates into many different realms but specifically for college going hey this is the time that you sleep right like not, yeah, there, you know what I mean? Curfew. Like, yeah. Yeah. So you have you have curfew. There's um, I was in a dry county. So you, you take a lot of these things that normal I mean, normal is probably not the right word. But yeah, I mean, normal college students interact with and relate to college. But then it's really hard for them to go like to have these memories and go back. Because we can't, we were so creative with what we were doing, uh, right? Yes. Like, yes. Um, 
There was no Uber. There was no Lyft. There was no, um, there was no dating app, right? Like all these things that are now, yeah, go ahead. Just simply, um, iPhones. Yeah. There was, we didn't have an iPhone. I, I don't think that came out until maybe our senior year, but. Oh, we definitely had flip phones or like the little Nokia, Nokia sort mm-hmm. of things. Anyway, I'm I'm thinking of stories where our mutual friend Gavin and I, um, I don't know if you knew this, but we asked two random people on dates for the other person. <laughs> I don't remember that. And the, and the date was to get tandem bicycles to pick up our date on a tandem bicycle to go play laser tag, right? Like those things. <laughs> yeah, sure. Are just crazy. Like, I I don't know if anyone else has done that. Uh, and, no. and, Didn't and Gavin you, uh, make a um, putt-putt course? Or no, that wasn't Gavin. That was Aaron. That Aaron, Aaron Shaner, shout out to you. Um, made a putt putt golf course for his date, I think. I, well, it was for his wife. Well, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that's, I don't. It's just. Yeah, man. Oh, so man. I don't know. There's a lot of memories that we can and um, things that came from those experiences that translate even today of going, man, that was so good. Um, and there, there was so many great things that came from, um, so going back, building on those constraints, right? Like those things help define, um, a great college experience, uh, for me at least. And I think that's why we continue to have the relationship we do. Yeah. There's ups and downs and valleys and disagreements and, um, interventions, if you will, but, mm. um, good or bad, it, we're all human beings. And I think that's, what's, uh, that's, it's been fascinating. Well, it's just been such a strong, we had such a strong friendship. We're not, you know, our story is similar to a lot of people at Harding where you get, you know, you get your really strong core group of friends that you kind of connect with and, we, a lot of us that connected were from the Midwest. A lot of us had moved around a little bit. Um, a lot of us, you know, had gone to multiple schools, you know, and we just, yeah, we all were able to relate a bunch of, a, a lot of things. And one of the things that when I look back on those days is um, just how much time I would spend trying to get dates with women instead of hanging out with you. <laughs> I spent so many hours doing that. I look back on it like, man, I, did, I spent a lot of my energy. I was talking to somebody and he just said, yeah, like you were, seemed like you were always sad <laughs> in college about some girl or some date or something. Like I really spent too much time doing that when I look back on that now. Um, so that's kind of yeah. funny. And just talking about memories and being creative, I had it in the intro, but, um, you know, that I had in the intro that you were a world-class animal ball player. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I think we should tell the world about Animal Ball. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's world class, but well, uh, you're in the top. You're 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 up there. Do you think it's because of the injury? Like my injury was so. <laughs> I, I think I can use the word epic. I don't know if it'll it ever was. happen again. It, it it will never happen again in Animal Ball at Harding. So it's epic. I don't think so. No. 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 I don't even know if they play Animal Ball anymore. It it was. I just remember your foot getting. I think it was. I, I think it was outlawed. Let's just. We got to preface this. They yeah, we kind of. It kind of ended this after is... your your injury really put a damper on that sport. <laughs> we should say what the injury is. I'll let you tell it. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, I don't even know where to begin. So we're we're talking about the injury and then moving back to the game, or just talking about the injury. I think to you got to explain the game to understand the injury a little bit. <laughs> um, in essence, the game is there. It we're in a pool. It's an Olympic sized pool. I I think that's accurate. It's a, a large pool. <laughs> definitely, definitely Olympic size. I measured. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but on the shallow end, and then part of the, and originally the, the rules kind of adapted over time. I think this was like a, a free flowing for a while. But those kickboards, so you need kickboards. You need a ball about the size of a volleyball. Right. Um, and. You pick one corner, so four corners of a pool. You pick one corner, mostly on the shallow end, shallow end, and um, and and the reason why you pick the one corner is because there there were lanes like swimming lanes on the other side, because um, at one point our friend who we won't name him, he was a lifeguard. I think we shut down the pool. It was after hours or something. And, uh, and so we were able to remove the lanes. So the, the rules kind of changed. But in essence, two kickboards on the side of the pool and essentially two teams. And you're trying to put the volleyball-sized ball, whatever that might be. And you have to, let, you have to actually put that on a kickboard and hold it there. So you can get it to the kickboard, right? So it can touch the kickboard, but if you can't hold it on the kickboard and establish a presence of the ball on the kickboard, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't count. That's right, yeah. So that's a point. Now, what happens in the pool? The only rule is you can't drown someone. Yeah, I was going to say death, basically. (laughs) Because, <laughs> I mean, there's definitely bleeding. We didn't stop for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, de- death is the only way, it's the only the only rule outside of points. Um, number of people, it, do- it doesn't really matter. In this case, it was Harding, so you have your own uh, guys swim, girls swim. So there's, <laughs> in this case, there was only... Guys, which I think in, in certain situations, that's uh, it's, it's probably a good idea, especially in terms of death being the only the downturn. Anyway, we're playing one day and the inner like the interchange of the shallow end to the 
the the deep end and again i said it's olympic size so you have lanes uh there are tiles on the bottom and i ended up cutting my foot on one of these tiles mm. um and it was it it was relate so the analogy would be if you remember Jaws and they're throwing chum off the side of the boat and there's just blood coming up out of the pool and I, and everybody stopped people were swimming in the lanes people were uh, we were playing animal ball um, this was a mass exodus out of the pool as right. I'm losing a lot of blood. Um, so I get out, get wrapped, and thought, oh, it's just a small minor cut. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I had to go to the hospital, and my biochemistry professor, actually, the guys carried me to his van. They put me in the back of the van. <laughs> That's right. And we right. drove to the, the ER. Yeah. So. Uh, That's, oh, man. So I, I thought about this a little bit intentionally because of the fact that um, your professor was the one that drove you to the hospital uh, that day. And just, you know, the, uh, I guess another um, great thing. What is the slogan? Great. It's great to be at Harding. We can use that slogan. Um, another great thing about Harding was the involvement with the professors. You know, we all had pretty small classes. And so <laughs> after this ridiculous event, it's your professor that drives you to the hospital, you know, and that kind of leads me into the question of like, okay, we all had people that were mentors to us from, from Harding, um, from church, from school, from life. And so, you know, when you look back at, you know, where you're, where you're at today, like just the impact that um, mentors have had on you. Like, who are the people that mean the most to you, and 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 why? That's kind of something I was thinking about. Because I think that professor was pretty important to you, if I remember right. Yes. Yeah, so, can I change it a little bit? But absolutely. Did, absolutely. All right. So I was thinking about. Well, I've been thinking about this a lot recently in terms of the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. And, you know, there are people that you look up to and, and they have an impact on your life. Um, at the same time, I think there are people that advocate for you, right? Those that are sponsored, like if you think about, uh, so I think about sponsorship in terms of, I can reach out to a person and they are also looking out for me and advocating for me. And, um, I mean, I'll, I'll use one at, at Harding. Um, so hopefully he'll be on your podcast at some point. Cause there's a lot of great memories here, but, sure. um, John David Fortner, we got to yes. throw his name out. Um, JDF. I, I don't know. I would assume, um, he hasn't spent a lot of time with students and having dinner with them at their like so so we hosted dinner um for john david fortner and not once but dr john david fortner 
Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> professor, PhD, Hebrew scholar. Um, the anyway, he is definitely a sponsor, mentor, mm-hmm. someone that um, you could go to and say. Professor Fortner, you won't believe what was just said in my New Testament class. <laughs> and we can have a discussion about, but but at the same time, he has that dry humor, too, of, and not everybody likes, I and mean, he's not for everybody, don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, you can be, yeah. if, if you know the sarcasm that comes from it. Anyway, uh, he taught me a lot about, critical thinking over the course of um, textual criticism, biblical thinking, um, what does it mean to be, to have faith? Um, And treating uh, the Bible as a whole, treating just that whole experience as an, it's an, in its entirety. Um, so that's that's one sponsor. That yeah. Like one mentor, so, someone to look up to. So are you saying you would say there's a difference between a mentor and a sponsor? Yeah, absolutely. You, okay. So what would that just to kind of clarify? What would that? Yeah. So I mean, he would he would like advocate for you, right? Okay. Uh, let's just choose that aspect of it. Yeah. Of he would go out of his way to put me in a different position. Yeah. Yeah, he would. I mean, if we go go back to that dinner that he came over, uh, I think it was a Friday night, came over to our, our house, our apartment, and we had um, <laughs> our friend over. Another, talk about uh, restraints. We had a friend over that was uh, female, we did. And, I don't remember and, her. No, and she so she was there, and really? she that was there, gonna... and, and we had to say, I, I think I'll, I'll just say her name. It's fine. Um, so Abby was over there at maybe like thirty minutes before he was going to come, and we, she was like, "Oh, I want to stay and have dinner," and we were like, "Well, we don't know how he'll feel about." And we were off campus, just for people, you know, we lived off campus, but she was. We basically were like, no, you need to leave. Like, he might not like you being here because of the rules. <laughs> and so we told Abby, like, all right, scram. And then Fortner came over after that. That's like the initial memory of that night. And, and she I was think, like, she was like nervous for us. She I was think like, what's interesting about her, though, that's another memory of, I mean, we read our Bible for like, seven hours straight literally out loud (laughs) (laughs) well we are nerds i'm yeah (laughs) but what i'm saying is like our goal was trying to get 12 hours of bible reading right 12 well to read the whole new testament in one day oh yeah so like 24 hours or something like that yeah i don't don't think we knew that long but that's why we're gonna (laughs) do it But, well, I mean, after like seven, which was long, we, yes. I think we were just like, okay, you got to go. You and I looked at each other like, we got to take a nap. <laughs> like, this is, this is too intense. Um, anyway, so that's off topic. But 
But I mean, he came out. He he it was a good it was a good time. Um, I I know there are a lot of people out there that you know we kind of bragged about it a little bit. Doctor Fortner is coming over to our house for dinner. Yes, we did. Like, we did. And and a one friend of mine, she was like, "Is there any way that I could come over and like just hang out in the closet and hear like be in his presence?" You know, wasn't that her? That wasn't Ab- that was somebody it was, else. It wasn't Abby. Yeah. Oh, okay, that was somebody. Else. Okay, yeah, we did. We had like, I mean, think about if we could have done a a live uh, a Facebook live of that, <laughs> everybody would have been watching from Harding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, I w- I would say there are a lot of um, science professors that kind of um, pushed me into um, going to the University of Wisconsin Madison, getting into the lab being very active in, um, in research. Uh, there is one person that I would say at the University of Wisconsin who I was able to show him my work and he, he was a tenured professor in chemistry. And he was like, yeah, I'd love for you to come here and work and be a part of this graduate program. And um, so Sam Gelman would be another person that, that uh, advocated for me um and during that time in wisconsin is when lance holly sorry professor lance holly now yeah doctor. um doctor professor um i hope he listens to this podcast and oh can, he will he will okay good 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 you should have him on by the way yeah uh I have a lot of great stories with him and his family too. So, right. um, what else, what's the question again? Well, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've named a few people that, you know, I was just asking, just looking for people who have been important to you and, and why, and you've brought up this idea of being a, an advocate, which I, I think is great and not a word that maybe comes to my mind, but just hearing you talk about it you know, how important that is that you have people that are, you know, that are on your side and really helping you grow, helping you learn. And I think you um, specifically had asked or not asked, but just kind of said, um, I think this is along the lines of what you're saying to, to advocate, what does it look like to advocate for those who are disadvantaged? Those are, um, I think the words that you were talking about, but how are you, um, what I guess where as you know as Christian men in you know being I guess middle class upper middle class master's degrees you know making uh, above average what other people make how do you advocate for disadvantage and what does that look like for you and and why do, why should we care right you know there's people that that you know, walk past people on the street every day. Um, I think that was something you'd kind of talked about maybe, but maybe I'm off topic. <laughs> no, I mean, I think um, let's, if I think about, so I don't want to debate. Um, I, I think you, there's there it's really hard it's not really hard but 
think people take advantage of certain privileges they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and they forget where they came from. Yeah. And so I have to think about being a human being. And, um, and there are certain privileges that other human beings do not have. And is there, so this is my personal choice to say, can I get a lawyer? Yes. I know how to get a lawyer to represent me in this situation. When there are a lot of other individuals that don't have the same education, um, don't have the same advocates to get those resources. Um, and I, I, my personal belief is that a lot of those should be rights. Um, so I think having the conversation and meeting people where they are is, is, um, and seeing them in a certain light as a human being helps to change sort of that, my own narrative that I'm having with myself. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I think Uh, so. Okay. And I can uh, just chime in with, you know, the work that I do, and then maybe you can chime in with the work you do too, but just, you know, working at a um, homeless shelter, I've been there almost two years, and it is extremely humbling to go to that job. Like, there's no day... There's no, it's not like I ever go into work and, and, um, without realizing how much privilege I have there, like, it's impossible to not have that. And not every, you know, I've worked at, you know, just kind of, you know, church jobs or I've worked in a hospital and you can probably get by without thinking about privilege at a hospital a little bit, but it still comes up a little bit. But then, you know, like working at Starbucks, working at UPS, um, you know, it's I could definitely walk past um, people and, and not think about um, people that don't have the same privileges as me. But at the job I have right now, it's impossible. I mean, every single day I'm faced with, OK, I I drive a car here. I have a license. I own a house. Um, I mean, that is totally different from what I experience when I'm working with the the men that I work with. Yeah. I'm I'm actually, yeah. Can, can you, I'm, I'm going to flip this around and ask you a question. Absolutely. Yeah, do it. Do it. So, I mean, how do you, I'm assuming there's a certain, um, demographic and i would say that that you're interacting with on a majority level yeah of but how do you as a white male right um how does that work i mean right i i think there is and maybe white privilege right and right. you being a white male Right. I mean, that's kind of at the top of this 
sort of conversation. Yes. So how, how, yes. how, how does that play into your interaction? Yeah. So just to, I mean, just obviously we're talking in generalities, but it's probably 50, ah, man, I don't want to misstep with the statistics. It's, it's not, it's probably like 60, 40 black, white with the men I work with. Um, so yeah so what about education though education everybody is very very rarely have i met people with a high school diploma um every once in a while every once in a while um you know most people um man it'd be odd if (laughs) i do think some of the guys might listen to this it's so funny but um, you know, and, and some of them, I would say, you know, the, the hardest thing is the, um, the reading level stuff that really keeps people back. And, um, my wife, you know, specifically works with helping kids, um, become better readers that are behind. So even more so than, Hey, did you graduate high school or not? You know, can you read very, very well? Um, or not. I think that's a huge indicator. And then just being able to interview and have social skills, it's really hard when you've, you know, been living on the street, you don't have the same social, um, what's the word? Just, it's just a different uh, social life. It's just different. It's more blunt, which in an interview, (laughs) if you're interviewing for a job and you're pretty blunt, that's probably not going to go very well. And um, so it, 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 it's very challenging just okay, and getting to the white privilege. Like um, I've had people say I would be better at the job if I was black. I've had people say I'd be better at the job if I had been homeless for a little bit. Um, I've had people say uh, like on a way far, this has only happened maybe once, but it's like, you know, somebody's coming into the program and they say something like, well, you would bring me in if if I was white. And that's obvious, you know, that's just not the case because we have plenty of people that aren't white that are working in our in our um, job and and that stay at our shelter. But you do you see you just there's just different. It's totally different rules um, than what I'm used to. And so I have to realize, like what you've said, you got to meet people where they're at. One of the big things we talk about is that every person is created in the image of God. Every person we believe has a purpose in in life, and that is because they're created in the image of God. We're just, you know, me and you, we're just better at hiding our defaults or our faults. Oh, I said default. We're better at hiding our faults, and our faults are like more socially acceptable, but we, you know, we all have faults. We all have things that have gone wrong in our life. We've all made poor decisions. And that's where you have to be humble and realize every, you know, I didn't, I didn't choose my parents, you know, that was just given to me. And it's the same thing for the guys that that I work with. I don't know if that kind of answers some of what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, it totally does. And I think, um, I have another, um, sponsor uh professor emory law and she 
um, has done a lot of advocacy work in other countries. And um, one of the things that was interesting was she would take on students, and I'm going to botch the story, but the essence of it, so I'm not going to even tell the story, the essence of it was she was taking on interns in these African countries given to her by these clinics. And they wanted to learn so bad. And there were certain tasks that these interns could not do. And she couldn't understand. But there, at some point, there's malnutrition. There the, uh, that leads into um, an education not being able to comprehend certain things. And until she was able to understand those issues, then she could see, oh, I get why Johnny, and that's not his name, but why Johnny cannot um, perform what we would consider a simple task, right? And I could do the same thing and saying, hey, take the 600 book, 600 page book and read it right like that shouldn't be a big deal andy well no obviously it's not gonna be a big deal for us you know we've we we're readers Mm -hmm. (laughs) but not everybody's a reader so Mm -hmm. um not everybody has gone through some of those experiences that we've gone through and um that i think is the a huge challenge into saying uh going back to we're human beings and we're in different spots and we have different experiences and what does that look like? Um, Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just the, you know, the idea, you know, just bringing up the reading part, it's, I just, um, our CEO, he's really big on net, like reading needs to be a focus. We have, um, we have a big focus, um, for that and we probably should have a bigger focus on it even but how crucial that is and if you had i mean think about what's the educational level of your parents and my parents you know they probably read to us from a young age we probably we both of us probably read to our siblings at a young age like we're already teaching people how to read when we're still you know kids almost and that is not, you know, that's not the normal experience for some people, but that's normal in our circles. And that's why it's so important to get out of our circles and get out of our comfort zone. And when I think about when, okay, um, when my faith has really been struggling, I think it's because I'm stuck in my same circles. When I think about um, what a professor said to me, was like, um, yeah, when your faith is really struggling, you know, go volunteer at a homeless shelter, go work at a food kitchen, go do a Bible study with somebody in prison, then then come and talk to me about your your faith and and how um, how hard and difficult your faith is. Um, I just thought that was really something that when I get out of my circles, that's when God really allows me to grow. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't come up with it, <laughs> but he he said that, and I was like, oh, wow, yeah. And well, and you look at the life of Jesus, he's always hanging out with people he wasn't supposed to. Yeah. yeah. Always, and, and people didn't like that, the Pharisees and 
the, you know, anyways, not to get too Bible oriented, but yeah. Well, I mean, I think Mother Teresa, um, yes. you know, there, there are people that we don't know, but the, I mean, these are some of the people that a lot of people know. Um, it was, it was meeting people where they were and what resources, what, what, what do they need? And we've talked about the movie, um, Samuel L. Jackson and Tommy Lee Jones. Mm. It's just the two of them interacting. I'm blanking on the name right now, uh, but Sunset Limited. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You know, and uh, I don't know. It's just. It, I heard the phrase the other day, you came in the world naked and you're going to leave the world naked, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> just to go back to college, uh, Gavin had that poster, uh, or not poster, but he had something on the wall hanging up that that's what it said, a quote. That was the quote on that wall. <laughs> I didn't know that. I've never, yeah. I have never lived, I've never lived. Well, no, I've lived with Gavin, but not in yeah. college. Yeah. Um, yeah, he had that. So, so um, what else do you want to talk about? So, um, Wait, some, I know you have a list. Yeah, I do. So, another thing that, um, you know, that when I think of you is this concept that I really, I always think of you with this concept, but, um, to be able to reframe where you're at, like you're in a difficult situation, you know, I'll, I'll call you and I'm, you know, I'm really mad or I'm really sad or I'm really, you know, um, confused. And you'll kind of say, okay, well, I don't know if you'll say exactly, but just this concept of reframing our mind and why that's important to you and, and what you mean by that. Yeah. Um, so the first story that pops into my head is, uh, so a couple summers ago, <laughs> I decided maybe three weeks before to get on a plane and go to China yes. to work on a project. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And <clears throat> so I met some really amazing folks and um, my friend Carrie, she's an attorney and she went with us. Uh, so it was, it, it, it was a good group. And the reason why I think about this is things were not going well. Things were off schedule. We had this communication barrier between even the, um, native Chinese and our ignorant Americans, um, Right. We're, we're, we're on this bus. Things aren't going well. We have teenagers, kids with us, and we hadn't had anything to eat in a while. And if, if you know kids and food and crankiness, and then you add in this language barrier, it's just like this huge mess. And you're 17 hours um, from the United States via airplane. And we're sitting on the bus and us, the, the adults are starting to get a little frustrated too. Like, ah, oh, what's going on? And my, my friend Carrie at this point was like, okay, well, what can we do? Right? Like just what, what good does it do for us to, to, to have 
this terrible, like to take this terrible experience and talk more about the terrible experience. Um, what value is that? And so we kind of just tried to flip this, the, the script to say, here's a completely new situation. And, um, I like, I, I, we need like footnotes at the end for all, for all my quotes here and conversations in my head. We can um, do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, here's a new situation. We have a new opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think depending on the mindset you have, you, you, you can, you can put certain spins on it the way you choose to put a spin on it. Right. Um, and so I can say, yeah, I have to go to work. Or I can say, hey, I get to go to work. Right. And I, I just changing some of those words kind of put you in a different mindset of uh, where you're going. Um, and, it, and it's more enjoyable, I think, if we think about it that way. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I think so. So new problems, new opportunities. New, all, new situations. Yeah. New, new opportunities. And every day, if we're, I think if we're living life the way it's supposed to be lived, then that's going to happen. One of the things I associate with you, Josh, is like this sense of adventure, um, this sense of, you know, I'm going to I'm going to. I'm going to go out and bike from Wisconsin to Arkansas. That, that was your idea. Um, and we have other friends that have done similar things, you know, hiking the AT. Um, and, well, just your sense, like the story you just told of, of, you know, going on a plane 17 hours away, you know, that you've always had this sense of adventure. And I think that's something really, really good about you that, you know, we need, I think we need more people like that. Um, and that does come with challenging, you know, like getting married, having kids, those are adventure. Those are new things that are really challenging. And so when I think of you, it's, um, I think this is a good story from very recently. You really challenged me. You're like, Andy, you need to write a book. And I'm like, oh man, it sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) Like with the podcast, I just hit record and talk and you know, edit it and put it up on the internet and I'm done. But when you think about like really doing a good job with it, it does take more time. And then I think with writing specifically, like learning to read can be really difficult. I think writing is even more difficult. And so you challenged me with that. And that's like, that's what I think that's what good friends do. And that's always, I mean, I would, I wouldn't expect anything else from you. Um, to challenge me with that because I think that's how you do I th- I'm guessing that's what you say to yourself something along those lines maybe not with a book but with other things like giving it give me an example um with other you know, things like so you did you know that you know athletically you're like I'm gonna you know I'm gonna bike um what? How many well, miles? Let me. That? So let me tell you the story behind that. So I. Yeah, yeah. I. It was. I, I was still at Harding, and I took an internship in Madison, Wisconsin, um, for a biotech company. 
and I did not have a car. Um, I didn't have a bike. So, like, I don't have a car, I don't have a bike, I'm living in Harding, right? And another friend uh, was driving, going to drive to Wisconsin already, and our friend Gavin happened to have an old road bike and said, hey, I need to get rid of this. I'm, I, it could have been around the same time that he did part of the AT, um, the Appalachian Trail. And he's like, I'm, I just got to sell this bike. And I'm like, I'll buy it. Like, I need, I need transportation around Madison, Wisconsin. If you haven't been to Madison, and you have, but for your millions of listeners, um, <laughs> yes, for them, all, all 12 of them, yeah. <laughs> there, there are, um, there are a ton of bike trails. And I was living, I rented, subletted a place in downtown Madison, but I had to go a little bit further out to my internship. There's a bike lane, bike path, and I was able to bike. 12 miles to work and then 12 miles back um, every day. And the beautiful thing about my job was the building and that, I mean, it was a corporate building, but they had um, a locker room with showers. So I could bike to work, shower, get ready, and then just go to work and then bike home. Um, and so if I'm doing 20 plus miles a day, I wanted to take it to the next level. So then I started doing like 40 miles by the end of the summer. And then I wanted to, I was like, well, I got to get back to Harding. How am I going to get back to, to Arkansas? And at that point it was, well, I can get back in seven days by doing 100 miles a day. Yeah, um, in the middle of summer. Yeah, so I mean, it was <laughs> it was August something. Um, I think it was hitting a hundred plus degree. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that that was kind of the the push of taking the different things to to the limit, and that's how I got there. So that's um, you know you you push yourself athletically. I mean, how many different academic programs have you been enrolled? <laughs> Well, so before we get over this, okay, okay. Oh no, she, she changed. She changed her. No, she didn't change it. <clears throat> so I want to talk about. Let's go back to that that conversation of uh, academic. So it's a mixture of academics and helping those that don't have the same resources. So the problem, and I'll go to this to a, a problem we have especially in the United States, but generally across the world, that there is the, the law, there's a, there's a separation now between those that I can, can afford to interact with the legal system and those that can't. Mm -hmm. And there are, there's mis, there's trust issues with attorneys. Um, and so the majority of people, especially in small claims, and it's a high number, probably 75, 80% or beyond small claims court, they're representing themselves. Mm -hmm. 
right? And so a professor of law at Emory and a professor of law at Texas A&M, um, a sponsor of mine from the Vermont Law School, put me in contact with them because they're writing a book called Legal Literacy and Communication, Dealing with the Law and Lawyers. And they've been practicing for 20 plus, 40 years, right? And they want me to help them with their book. (laughs) Right? Like, I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. All right. Let's like, and so at the beginning, I was like, well, my name's not going to be on it. Uh, How am I going to build my own reputation? And that was my first thought. But then it was, oh, here's going back to this new situation, new opportunity. Um, Let's try it. Like what this is a challenge. I'm I don't want to be hiding in my comfort zone. Like, let's give this a shot. What do I have to lose? And so. um, One of the professors has this quote that she references because she teaches legal writing is however great a man's nature, natural talent may be, the act of writing cannot be learned all at once. I'll read it to you again. Yeah, say that again. However great a man's natural talent may be, the act of writing cannot be learned all at once. Yeah. So you can you can take this beyond your um, my challenge to you of writing a book. Right. I mean, just any whatever talent you might have, um, you didn't learn it all at once. Mm -mm. Right. And so I'm 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 struggling. Like, how do I write these case studies (laughs) Mm -hmm. to then? put into a book um that these all this many years of legal experience has Mm -hmm. and you know we can we can use the quote it's not a marathon or it's not a sprint it's a marathon Mm -hmm. um but i think about this quote the most is that it can't be all you know you the act of writing cannot be learned all at once um but it's this continual like you just keep writing you keep doing a podcast you Mm -hmm. you build up right you don't run a you don't run a marathon you're not like i've never ran before let me just put in 26.2 miles today right you're not going to be able to do it right yeah that and it's just it's not surprising to me that you have a group of people who are like all right josh we know you've never done this before, but we think you can do it. But, you know, because that's I they probably sense the same thing I do, which if I'm right, this is not the first time that you've helped out with a book. There is something right. else. Correct. Yeah. So you've helped out with a book before, but completely different subject matter. Yeah, completely different subject matter. So, so it went from science to law. But I yeah. think the, the the general principle is the same in terms of of writing of how how do you clearly convey to your audience um that the message 
and in it the first time it might be garbage but going back again you're going to learn something you're going to challenge yourself it's a new situation new opportunity you might be able to what, what what is there to lose i guess is what i'm saying there's so much value in it and you might not know the value um and if it's to be a prolific writer I mean, the act of writing cannot be learned all at once. It it, it takes time. Um, so, Man's Search for Meaning, we've talked about this book by Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many days did it take him to write that book? I just, I mean, how did he even write it? <laughs> you know, how do you go no, from no, concentrate? Well, I'm just saying, how do you go from the yeah. being in a concentration camp to coming out of that experience and thinking, oh, I think I'll write about it. I mean, that's incredible in itself. Itself. Yeah. But he wrote, he wrote it in nine days. Oh, really? I did not know that. I did not know that. Wow. So to take something so you would say hard to write, he would also say it was hard to write. But it has so much value to those around him. Um, he didn't even want to put his name, but putting his name created more value. Right. right. Yeah. Just as far as, you know, other authors that have not wanted to put their name on something, um, when C.S. Lewis wrote his work, Grief Observed, C.S. Lewis was writing about the death of his um, his wife and how much pain and suffering he had and how much um, skeptical or cynicism towards God. He didn't want to put his name on it because he thought it would hurt what people, you know, he was this guy who was this great believer, this faithful person. I can't put my name on something that's so negative and dark. And it's just so interesting, you know, a different, different person, obviously, but just this idea, it is more powerful because you put your name on it. Yeah. There's something about that. And okay. So, so let's go back to this. So you're, uh, I'm going to hijack again. No, you're, you're, writing a, you're writing a book. Um, when, when are you, you going to send me a manuscript here? <laughs> oh, man. I have Let's no start idea. with this. Here, here's what I think you should do. This, this is my just personal opinion. Write a okay. proposal, right? Essentially write just an, like an idea of what you'd want to talk about. Right. And yeah. a potential first chapter, whatever that might be. Right. And so... Think twenty thousand words. If you can get me five hundred words, uh-huh. now you you've started something. Right. It's funny that you say that. I think I don't know when it was. Maybe four or five years ago. I um I really wanted to write a book about um, spiritual friendship or something along those lines, like authentic friendship or or something along those lines. And um, I called one of the pretty big um, Christian publishers. It wasn't, 
Zondervan, but it was, some, it was um, somebody pretty big like that. And you get you get on the list of this company, and you say, "Hey, I want to write a book," and you know they love it because they want you to pay, you know, hundreds of dollars so that they can you know keep going and not go to Amazon where you can self-publish for free. Um, so they, I mean, we're talking five years ago. They call me almost every day, like that. Oh, yeah. That that number of that um, publisher will call. They call me three, four times sometimes, and because I want to say two months ago I picked up once, I think they will not stop calling unless I yeah. put them on like a do not call list or something. But and I don't do it. So there's something in me that's like okay, maybe you know that. So it's not like you're planting something. It's not like Inception. You haven't planted something that wasn't there. It's, you know, it's been there. And just, I think my podcast is a form of, of talking about what I want to talk about, whether it's privilege, whether it's faith, um, whether it's, you know, the um, difficult topics of um, racism or like what you're talking about where people um, don't have equal you know, we say we have equal rights for everybody, but we know that's it's sort of nuanced at this point as far as equal rights. Um, and so there's just something really good that is in me that's like, no, I want to I want to help people. And I think my words and I think my thoughts can help people, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so one of the things that was um, said to me when I did my last interview with Jonathan was just like, people maybe have this perception of me that I'm just like super happy all the time. And then they turn on my podcast and it's kind of like stoic or dark. And then I'll talk to somebody who really knows me and they're like, no, that is kind of you. The Enneagram four is kind of this person who is an individualist and has high feelings but also has a lot of melancholy and that's me. Um, and so kind of just when you, I don't, or I'll ask this question, put you on the spot. How many of the podcasts have you listened to of mine? One. (laughs) All right. So from that big takeaway, but um, but to be fair, I've only listened to, one other podcast. No, oh, two, right, two, right, right, right. Two podcasts. It's not something you normally do, right? Um, just oh, I didn't even tell you this. A commercial, a commercial break here. Winter Faith Podcast is now on Spotify. So, big news. I got approved this morning from Spotify. So, anyways, um, so I so Josh, to, I forgot that I forgot to ask you though. Speaking of commercial news here, yeah. Um, are there any sponsors I need to give a shout out to? <laughs> like, this, you know, I was thinking it's kind of funny. It's so it's so perfect. You know, the last person I had on, I went to Harding School of Theology with, and I also talked to admissions at Harding School of Theology, and I was like, can I just throw out, you know, Harding whenever I want? And they're like, sure. <laughs> so then I was like, oh yeah, Josh, but we don't, you know, we went to Harding together. But then I remember technically. You did go, I mean, not, of course, you are Harding School of Theology alumni, <laughs> what are you? We took classes well, together at Harding, I, I Harding took, School of Theology. I think I took two classes there. <laughs> uh, 
that's so and you. I'm like, okay, sure. I took two classes, and I think I failed one. Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's just a hard opportunity school. to learn. It's a hard school. It's a hard school. Yeah. Uh, probably the only fail I've had in my career, but um, anyway, I, I took two classes there. Right. So we will continue to promote Harding School of Theology. I've had two straight guests that went to went there. So, but but actually, I I did not go to. Um, I think it was it was the other name. Oh yeah, I, I, you're right. Harding. What was it? Hart. Oh man, I can't believe School I don't of know. Religion or something. Like Harding Graduate School of Religion. Yeah, I went to the Harding Graduate School. Of that's Religion, right. That's right. Which is no longer there, and I, I, you know, I, I yep. put it out of business. No uh, longer. Now it is HST. So um, yeah. Where your, were we? Oh yeah, your perception of man. It's so hard with only one episode. <laughs> we might have to come back to that one. But anyways, maybe your perception of like my. I would be curious what you think of like just, you know, me taking on like, you know, becoming, okay, like becoming a hospital chaplain where you work with grief and death and working at a homeless shelter, which works with addiction, a lot of grief, a lot of brokenness. Is that what you envisioned for me? You know, that I would, that's where my career path would go. I don't, I, I honestly and I've been honest this entire time, but I haven't, I don't know what I pictured. I mean, cause you've done some amazing things too, right? You went to Africa, you went to Greece, you have an adventurous spirit and kind of this, um, you know, the maybe not fully thought out resourceful way. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> um, so I'll give you credit for that. But I think you've, you know, I think today I could not see you. I could see you doing something else, but I think this is where it, it's super refreshing to see someone pick because um, you chose to work in this, in this field. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I'm excited for you. Yeah, the I just you know I kind of thought I would be um, working at a church and doing something along those lines, and I I've had a lot of experiences that were difficult for me because I didn't grow up. We haven't really talked about this at all, but like both of us kind of grew up in Church of Christ, but kind of didn't grow up in Church of Christ. Like we've had very experiences in churches we've been in other denominations or i mean non-denominational or or you know like we both have been a part of different church groups and so when i got into kind of like church of christ jobs they were very challenging for me because i don't think i grew up in a typical um church of christ and so that that was a lot more challenging for me than i thought and i just wasn't ready for ministry so then to get into hospital chaplaincy was such a, a blessing, um, whether it was, um, 
planned or, or, you know, I look back on this idea of everything happens for a reason, you know, and I just don't buy it, you know, I just don't. And, and I feel like my life is that way. I'm like, man, I, I didn't see it going this way, but I am doing ministry, but I'm doing ministry in ways that I, yeah, I never thought I would do if you'd asked me when I was, you know, 22 at Harding. Um, so I've, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And it's been something that just continue, like continues to help me, I think, stay alive because in the homeless shelter ministry, it's totally different every day. <laughs> like it's, it's, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. So, yeah. Well, uh, I think this is, I, I think this is good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. We'll do something a little lighter here. Um, I did this on the last show as well, so I'm trying to get kind of a routine of how I do these things. Um, all right, so switching gears, what um, what makes you laugh? What makes you laugh? So the premise of this, I'll give you some time to think. The premise of this is that, you know, life can be really, really heavy, especially when you're doing important work. It can be even heavier. We have a lot of um, meaning and a lot of thoughtfulness that goes into what we do. We're, you know, we're plant, we're adventurer, but we're also, we're on an adventure to do good. And that can be challenging. So I think there's things in our life where it's like, okay, I need a release. And it doesn't necessarily have to be laughter, but I do think um, that is important. But we need releases from, from the seriousness of life. So what does, what are those for you? And we know it's not podcast because you've established that. Yeah, it's not podcast. <laughs> not podcast. Um, I mean, there there are certain. Uh, I mean, there are certain like we've we've Seinfeld obviously mm-hmm. has watching some episodes of Seinfeld. Um, kind of the the mundane sort of quirky things um, are funny. Um, I like talking to people that I can banter with on certain things. That that is fun. Um, you know, it's it's weird, but a pet sometimes is super funny. Yeah, like they do. They just do weird things that. Right. You know, like noticing uh, Wilson, my dog, do funny, quirky things um, will make me laugh. Um, I was trying to think about this. Like, there are things that, like, deep down, make me laugh, and I'm I'm blanking on it. Okay, what what makes you, you laugh? Well, I mean, I talked about this already, so I don't want to completely repeat what I said. But um, I mean, I love I love like just really dumb <laughs> movies, yeah. like the Will the Will Ferrell Jim Carrey comedy stuff. Still. I still love that stuff. Just it's kind of slapstick humor, but just just like obnoxiousness. And I think um, I'd said this before, but like Robin Williams, if you watch Robin Williams stand up, he's crazy. And I could never do anything like Robin Williams, but just seeing that guy stand up, doing his stand up was it, it's insane. Um, so yeah. Okay, so I have I'll, I'll just go play off of this. So two movies yeah. that. You probably do not know. Um, okay. 
that make me laugh. One, Thor Ragnarok. I can watch that one over That's and great. over again. It's, yes. it's, it's, it's a funny film. Yes. Um, and then, man, this is going to blow your mind, but I think it's going to blow your mind. But the movie Pitch Perfect is oh. one, of my, <laughs> one of my favorite really <laughs> funny Pre- movies. Pitch Perfect. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I've seen that one. have not well, seen it. I mean, the Packers like the movie. And yes, that's right. The Packers were in that And movie. they were in it, and they were in number two. They were in number two. You know, we haven't even discussed this, Josh. You are an NFL owner. I am. I am. You are an, Josh, uh, for those of you who don't know, Josh owns part of the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Assuming people are still listening after our <laughs> Oh, they, they'll, there's somebody out there. For, for my... My, um, let's see, I'm trying to think. I have a couple of friends that listen to a lot of them. So, so yeah, well, this will be our closing. Yeah, we'll do this for our closing. So, Josh, um, a lot of decisions made in the NFL offseason. Did they yeah. ask you about um, <laughs> Mike McCarthy? Did they ask you? You know, I think I was in a meeting and I, yeah said, you know, like, I can't deal with this right now. Um, So I kind of gave that back to Ted Thompson to kind of just, you know, make the the decision. He's not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you're a little little late, but that's okay, you know. You missed the text (laughs) message about Ted Thompson, too. Um, (laughs) Oh, man. Who is the guy? Brian... Brian, uh, Mike Murphy and Gudapest, uh, I guess, is the guy. So, um, what about this new, the new coach? Did you talk to Matt Lafleur? <laughs> no. This is making me laugh. This is good. Um, for those of you who don't know, you can actually buy stock. No, you can't. You can't well, right now. Every so, every so often. Every so yeah. often. Like every, what is it? Like there, are only five, there, there are only been five openings. Five openings to buy stock in the Green Bay Packers. The only professional team that is not uh, owned by an individual, but a group or a community. So, um, yeah, Josh did that with with Gavin. When was that? What year? 2011, right after the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, and and then they did the stock opening. And uh, that was my birthday gift to myself that year. That's a good gift. Very nice of you. Give that. Oh, um, man, that was good. You know, I I I was trying to think of something really funny, and that that worked out. That worked out pretty well. Um, well, I don't know, Josh. What other uh, do you have any last um, words? I had, I think, pretty much got. You know, we talked about a lot of. A lot of things. Um, well, thank you, Andy, for having me on here. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I think my, um, I mean, there's a few other things, but that's fine. I think that one of the things that I think about you is you are an aggressive learner. You're very, <laughs> you are an aggressive learner, and that is a good thing. Maybe I'll say assertive learner. That probably sounds better. Um, so... 
do a plug. Can you do a plug for your website? Sure. Uh, my name's Josh Jackson, and my website is www.joshjackson.co. Um, it definitely needs to be updated, but um, super interested in the intersection between law and technology, and how do we create more access to justice? Awesome. Yeah, I get on there. I like reunion. Very inspirational stuff. It, it always encourages me. Um, and then, you know, I would say, yeah, just, you know, glad you had time in your busy schedule to come on the show. So this has been the Winter Faith Podcast. Thanks for listening. Andy, out. Hey guys, um, one more John Fortner story, uh, just for the Harding listeners out there. I don't know. I don't know if he would do it. Ask him, what do you have to lose? Yeah, no, I'll definitely ask. Like, with Fortner, the story that I was thinking about, well, I guess we could still talk about it and just, I'll just edit it. The story when <laughs> I went and talked to Fortner about, you know, how sad I was about this relationship ending. And just, you know, I just, you know, I made a lot of poor decisions and one of them, you know, I let her use my TV and Josh and I, Josh and I went to the dorm to get Andy's TV back and they wouldn't let us upstairs. So Josh went upstairs and got the TV, but she couldn't find the remote. So Josh, you looked in the couches and were like, oh, here's the remote. It's right here. <laughs> and the dorm moms, we got the dorm mom involved and she was like, this is awkward. What is going on? And so Fortner, you know, was just like, well, what do you think? What do you think you learned? And I said, you know, something serious about relationships. And he's like, well, I think you learned you don't give away your TV. <laughs> just because he's such like a you know like this educated like serious person and then you have a conversation he's like don't give your tv away that's that's all i learned (laughs) oh man it's amazing star